This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined, as always, by Bazooka Joe Valtellini. And uh, just uh, some housekeeping uh, off the bat. We usually do an interview edition of the show as well as a... uh, you know, our, our normal versions, but we're going to combine it this week. Uh, I did an interview with Gilbert Burns over the weekend, and we will hear that at the end of this podcast. So uh, when Joe and I wrap, you will get to hear uh, an interview with perhaps the future champion in the uh, men's welterweight division. So, uh, I mean, the women's welterweight division, there's not much to talk about, but the men's welterweight division, <laughs> lots to talk about. Uh, thanks, Joe, and uh, nice chatting with you, of course, uh, about a fantastic event, UFC 257. This past weekend, Conor McGregor, Loses to Dustin Poirier by a second-round knockout, uh, an outcome that I think would surprise a lot of people. I always thought that a knockout was a possible outcome. I just didn't think it was going to come this early. Yeah, and I think most people, including myself, thought it would have came the other way. Um, I think we're, we're surprised. I think it was a, a surprising result for a lot of people. I think Connor got in people's heads thinking he was going to get that early finish, and next thing you know, it's Dustin Poirier on top of the world. Well, yeah, when Connor makes predictions, people tend to listen, and uh, they tend to come through. But uh, we're, we're, just, we're just in a different time now. You know, this isn't the same uh, Dustin Poirier that we saw the first time around. And people start, you know, they, they show that knockout over and over and over and over again that it becomes the reality of the situation when really it's not the reality. The reality is that Dustin Poirier is a completely different fighter who's amounted uh, one of the best resumes at 155 pounds, and Conor McGregor hasn't been active in the lightweight division. So... When you when you take into account the experience that he has had with with the, this build of fighter, with the the caliber of fighter like a Justin Gaethje, Max Holloway, um, you know uh, Habib, I know Conor fought Habib as well, um, Dan Hooker, you know, like he's beaten the yeah. best of the best guys outside of Habib, and we're expected to believe that Conor's just going to come in and mop the floor with him. It just really surprised me how how much how uh, little respect rather Dustin Poirier got heading into this one. Yeah, and you realize, though, that that journeyman style that Dustin Poirier had, like since that first fight, he got bigger, he got stronger, he put the time in the octagon. And even Connor saying like that was one of the biggest things. Connor didn't spend enough time in that octagon to feel comfortable. And when you fight someone like a Dustin Poirier who's in there um, consistently fighting big names over the past, you know, you know, so many years, it just uh, it definitely played to his favor. Now, apparently John Kavanaugh just did an interview with uh, Ariel Helwani and said that they want the trilogy fight right away. They want to fight Poirier right away, or perhaps Connor's going to go back to boxing. But uh, mm. I don't think that they... I don't. Here's the thing. The UFC is a promotional machine. They want to make money. The money fight right now is that trilogy fight. Khabib's off the table. You've got a, a potential yep. trilogy fight with Poirier. They might find a way to just make that fight. We, we should not... You know, rule that out. Dana White can figure out a way to spin it where people will say, yeah, maybe we do need an immediate rematch. We need to have a trilogy fight. Maybe it should be for the title. They can figure that out if they want to. But every indication that I got after that event was that they're going to look to go to in a different direction. Uh, but I, I just don't want people to believe that this is not going to be a possibility. There, there could be a trilogy fight next. Yeah, I think uh, it maybe depends on what they're going to do with Charles Oliveira, I guess, right? If he's that next guy uh, waiting to jump in, um, if they maybe put, you know, Oliveira with someone else, maybe like that Gaethje fight or something, and then the trilogy kind of makes sense, and then you can kind of set up a uh, a big mega fight that way. But I'm not opposed to the third fight, to be honest with you. I, I, I don't mind it. I think the excitement's there. I like to see the adjustments made from the calf kick uh, to see if Connor could, could adapt to it and see what kind of a mind and striker he is. So, uh, yeah, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm more into uh, – Wanted to see what we can do with Charles Oliveira, to be honest. Yeah, and it would hold up the division as well, which is which is something that the UFC never really likes to do. Um, so there, there are certainly forces working against the potential trilogy fight. And uh, Dustin Poirier, I think his priority is not Conor McGregor. His priority is the title. It's always been the title. And yeah. that was one of the reasons why I think he won this fight, is he was looking at Conor as like just another contender he has to beat to get to the title. He tried not to put too much pressure on himself, and I think he did a good job of that. Yeah, and it wouldn't make sense to make that trilogy fight for the title at that point if Poirier just beat Connor, or does it make sense to move up Maybe they one do. Of the other guys? They can make yeah. it for the title if they really want to spin it that way. I'm sure they can make it for the title, but the fact of the matter remains that Conor McGregor's record is lightweight in the UFC is one and two, right? So, yeah. I mean, you can't. There are a lot of things that you're going to have to ignore and 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 suspend in your mind in order to justify, uh, at least in, in one's mind, the idea of that fight being for the title. 
right. Well, put your Mick Maynard, Sean Shelby hat on. What's uh, What would you do? So here's what I would do with the lightweight division. I, I tweeted this out uh, after the event on Saturday. I would do Poirier versus Oliveira for the title. I would do Gaethje versus Chandler because that fight is just like a five-star, you know, blockbuster fight. And I would do mm-hmm. Connor versus Diaz 3. They apparently were talking to Nate Diaz about coming back. The rumor was that he was going to fight Gaethje. I, I think you take that fight away. You do Gaethje versus Chandler. It's a, it's a much more fun fight. And you take Diaz and you just move him over to Connor. You have that trilogy fight. And you have it at 155 pounds. Because you're, you, you need to give Connor McGregor a winnable fight in this next yeah. one. And I yeah. think that Diaz, because Diaz has beaten him before, you can justify that fight. But I don't think that you should give Connor a bad stylistic matchup for his next fight if you're not going to make it the Poirier trilogy. Because you want to, you, the, the, that Poirier tr- trilogy right now, they're bubble wrapping that. They, they need that fight to happen. Yeah. I mean, now this fight with Connor and Diaz, that would be ideally at lightweight because their last two is at welterweight. Yeah, this, I think this one would have to be a lightweight. And, and when Dana White was talking about Diaz's return, they were talking about a lightweight return that would get him into the title picture. But hey, a return over Conor McGregor would get him into the title picture undoubtedly. So uh, yeah. let's see. But here's the thing. like, Where do you rank Conor McGregor now? If you're doing the rankings in the lightweight division, like with his only win in that division coming over Eddie Alvarez and his only wins over the last, what, five, six years being, I guess maybe five years being over Eddie Alvarez and, uh, you know, Cowboy Cerrone, like how do you justify putting this guy in the top five, top seven of the lightweight yeah. division, right? Like I'm sure that... The, the thing about the rankings is, and people don't really talk about this, but it should be said, is that the UFC actually send direction out to the people that are doing the rankings and say, if he loses this fight, maybe he should be ranked this way. They, they kind of guide you a little bit. But okay. I just don't know how you could justify putting Conor McGregor in the top five after hypothetically after that, after that performance. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really tough. It just, it's that Conor effect. I mean, you tweeted it out. Look what he does when he's on the embedded. I mean, everything doubles up when Conor McGregor's on the card, so that influences things. But I agree with you. I think he needs a, a fight to kind of show that he's still at that level. I mean, when he was on that double champ run, um, he was hungry. He was motivated. He had passion. He was, you know, on fire. But now that kind of fires fizzled down he doesn't fight as often so i think he has to like you said show his rank and his worth and would a diaz fight really do that you know in your mind or does he need to fight that the gaichi or does he need to fight the chandler in order to to show himself at that top five yeah i'm i mean i think the diaz fight would do it i think that the diaz fight would if he had a nice win over diaz it would sell people on the fact that he's still belongs to the top of the division even though diaz isn't at the top of the division but yeah yeah or active at all right i mean we don't really see diaz i mean so i mean i just i don't necessarily in my mind would think that fight would kind of show that he's there i I need to see a a gaichi or maybe the Oliveira to really show his level even i mean wouldn't it be opposed to how fun would a a dan hooker fight be even i mean i wouldn't even be opposed to something like that but one thing that uh, james lynch i was just on with him before we started our podcast his order that he would like to see connor uh fight um, I'll give you my order first. My order would be... Okay. Actually, I'll give you his order first because it brings the name to the, to the surface. His number one choice is Ferguson. Number two, Diaz. Nice. Number three, Masvidal. And my, my top three is the same. I just have uh, Diaz as my number one and Ferguson as my number two. The Ferguson fight would make a lot of sense because you'd get a lot of yeah, good trash talk. You'd get a really good build-up. There's the, the history with their management. You know, Ferguson said that when he was under the same management as, as McGregor that they were working against him. So there's, there's that angle to it. Um... Two really weird, quirky guys. I still think Ferguson has some clout in the division. Maybe you make that fight. And I also don't think that Ferguson is a terrible matchup for McGregor either. Yeah, okay. I mean, we kind of wrote off uh, Ferguson. I mean, I think with the addition of Chandler and then Hooker stepping in to take the fight, I mean, but we're writing off Ferguson Ferguson for Diaz. I mean, yeah, true, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's a tough little decision there. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think Ferguson's the fight, to be honest with you. I think Ferguson. Not only is he that a, a good name to kind of solidify, but Ferguson deserves a big fight. He never got that world title fight. He's put so much time into the UFC. I think he deserves a, a nice payday and a good attention fight and nothing bigger than a Conor McGregor pay-per-view, right? Yeah, but I guess the, the question would be if, let's say, Gaethje beats Chandler or vice versa and Conor beats Ferguson, like it's hard to justify Fer- Conor still being jumping one of those guys, right? So yeah. how long mm-hmm. is it going to take for... I mean... In a perfect world for the UFC, they book Connor versus somebody, they book Oliveira versus Poirier, and Oliveira beats Poirier. Because then Oliveira's the champion, and then you can make that trilogy fight. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many options in this lightweight division. It's it's it's, it's fun. I mean, I think this the discussion of being able to play the the chess game with these guys. I think it's awesome. I mean, just that whole top six, top seven is phenomenal. I think anyone in those top five or six could be a champion within you know a year's time. And right now, nobody's matched up. You know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in tomorrow's matchmaker meeting at uh, at Zufa yeah. HQ in in Las Vegas just to see what yeah. they're what they're thinking because. Uh, Right now, basically, you look at every top guy in that division, and there's nobody that's matched up with anybody, right? So they've got yeah. basically a blank canvas to work with and uh, lots of different colors of paint. It almost started like uh, a little bit last year. It was that welterweight division that was really hard to find who was going to be the winner. There's a lot of good matchups, but I think that heat and the, the challenging matchups moved to the lightweight division. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and right now there's no champion, right? So they're going to have – they still need yeah. to put the belt on somebody. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I I believe, and it sounded like uh, Poirier kind of agreed with this in his post-fight comments, was that Oliveira has earned the right to be next in line. He he doesn't want to fight Chandler next. He knows that Chandler had a big performance and, and everything, but he doesn't feel like Chandler has earned being at the top yeah. with one win over Dan Hooker. Yeah, I'm all for that. I mean, especially Poirier seeing how many years he's been in the UFC, how long... Uh, it's taken him to get to these opportunities, the wars he's been in, the company man he is. Uh, I think he, he's right. I mean, let the guy earn his stripes a little bit in the organization. Um, it's not fair. I mean, I agree with Poirier. Let Chandler get maybe one more uh, top fight before he gets his title shot. Mm -hmm. And I was saying to you last week, I think that Poirier is actually a really bad matchup for Oliveira stylistically. But let's see. I mean, Oliveira has looked so good lately that I, I just want to see him compete at the highest level. I, I, I'm eager to see what he can do against a guy like Poirier because what he did to Ferguson was nothing short of impressive. Yeah, I mean, just as... I, I probably would say in, in the division, he's probably the most well-rounded, right? I mean, someone who can do the damage he can on the ground with his submission attacks and, and, a, and a phenomenal striker too. So I think being well-rounded, he's probably the best of all those names we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So uh, eager to see how that plays out. But... Uh, Let's talk about the fight itself and, and the, the tactics behind mm -hmm. the fight. Uh, what, what did you think was the X factor in that fight? Because, you know, prior to the event, when uh, I was asked on SportsCenter what I thought the, the X factor would be, I basically said, I think it's Poirier's chin. I think if Poirier's chin holds up for long enough, he's going to take, take that fight over and win. And that's basically yeah. what happened. But in terms of just the actual X's and O's, what did you learn from this fight? Uh, and what do you think that uh, the people that watched it maybe, maybe didn't see that you saw? Well, I think uh, the the big subtleties of the fight came in Conor McGregor's stance, and that's what kind of set up those calf kicks really well. And it's actually funny because I got a text message uh, yesterday from Antonio Carvalho, uh, who I actually cornered in the UFC, and he goes, Joe, it's so funny. Years ago when we were training, he goes, I asked you, how do you beat Conor McGregor? And you said you attacked the legs and the calf. And uh, Antonio just wanted to remind me that years later, <laughs> I had the game plan. So thank you, Antonio. Uh, but it's all in Connor's stance. I mean, when Connor fights another ortho, uh, fights an orthodox fighter, he's in that open stance where uh, the leg kick isn't as big of a factor. So um, he can block them easier. It's in the front of the shin. But Connor's stance is bladed, which is like a sideways karate stance. So in order to block a southpaw hitting that calf, it's very difficult to kind of turn your foot out to kind of block and and to block properly without you damaging your calf. So. That mixed with Connor's long stance, it's just made it really too difficult to be able to, to stop those calf kicks. So um, the adjustments he's going to have to make is, one, don't be so bladed, and two, kind of maybe have a, a shorter stance length so this way he can kind of slip the low kicks or not. But that didn't work. He was trying and relying too much on that left-hand straight that he's known for, and that kind of made him too heavy on the front leg, too antsy. And then just uh, the idea of that calf kick from Poirier was just beautiful. But the, the calf kick was successful from Poirier because he used good pressure. Yes, he took those shots. And once he felt he could take Connor's shot, he kept coming forward. He played in with the takedowns, tried to tie him up, um, fatigue the arms a little bit. But that just all helped him keep chopping those legs and get that nice, strong finish. You take the legs away, Connor doesn't move. And Poirier just sat in the pocket and just went to work. So um, tactically, it was the right Right play, the southpaw attacking the Cavs, and we found uh, the kryptonite to Connor. And that uh, that early takedown also really set the tone uh, for Big the fight. Time. Yeah, because it 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 made it it put that in the back of Connor's head for the entire fight. It was like this guy can take me down if he really wants to, right? And yeah. I think that that you know it seemed very apparent that that was the strategy. It was like take him down right away, 
Just like get it in his head, take him down right away, because then you're going to limit the types of uh, of attacks he can throw at you. And the other thing that surprised me was Connor was catching a lot of Poirier's kicks and just didn't know what to do with it. Like he, it seemed like he yeah. didn't have much of a strategy. He he didn't go for takedowns off of it. He didn't kick the leg really. I, yeah. I think that he could have done a better job with that as well. But uh, yeah, I mean Poirier, I thought had a, a master game plan with with his coach Mike Brown, and uh, they implemented it to perfection. So we we have now seen new weaknesses that we didn't know about Conor McGregor before. But, but what I want to ask you about, though, is how important is it for people to learn both stances, to learn orthodox and uh, traditional stances when, when they're competing? Or sorry, orthodox and southpaw, rather, when, yeah. when they are competing? Because if you're going to end up facing a southpaw at some point, you mentioned that a southpaw leg kick versus a southpaw is far more effective. Yeah, it, just, uh, it sounds like an easier thing to say. Like, okay, if someone hits it, then we switch both stances. But like... When you're fighting, it's being able to fight both stances is so awkward. It's just like telling someone, okay, you've been going to school for 10 years writing with your right hand. Now go and I want you to write an essay with your left hand. You're like, what? Like, I mean, there's just so many things going on. You can do it with practice. I don't know how to defend with lots of practice. (laughs) A lot of practice. (laughs) A lots of practice with fight experience. So what happens is when you switch stances, your defense becomes severely compromised. So... Usually when someone switch stances, they're not good at catching, pairing. They're not understanding of how to move your head. So a lot of times when guys do switch stances, they get hurt because they don't know how to defend. Um, so ideally, like there's instead of switching stances to deal with it, it's about maybe adapting to a different style. Um, and then if that adapting doesn't work, then you have to switch stances. But I would say uh, switching stances would be plan B. A uh, plan A for Connor, like I said earlier, would have been to try to slip, you know, keep your stance a little bit shorter, maybe use feints to kind of see him kick, then slip the kick and then counter back. So I think there's more ways to adapt and deal with the kick from your strong side, then if that's not working, you're still getting hit, then I would recommend switching. So it's, it's, a, it's a bigger question because it is a lot more difficult than it, it seems to just switch stances. Well, I'm glad you said that because to me it seems easy. I'm just watching it on TV. Yeah, but to, just, to, switch to, yeah, just switch the other stances. Switch stances, yeah. throw lefts, throw left kicks. Yeah, yeah. which I, I would have liked to have seen from Connor that you brought it up. He didn't really kick much in my mind. He usually has these nice front kicks. He threw that beautiful, nice spinning hit, uh, spinning heel kick, which looked nice, but didn't kick enough to set up the punches. He's too antsy for that left straight now. Like, come on, set things up, use things around it, play a little bit more. I think he's just, you know, too reliant on that left hand now. Mm-hmm. Well, good points, and uh, I'm I'm eager to see what ends up happening here because I I want to see I I really want to see the trilogy fight. I mean, that's the thing. I think a lot of people want to see the trilogy fight. It's just from yeah. a division standpoint, it doesn't make a ton of sense. But the UFC yeah. has often taken, you know, meritocracy and thrown it out the window when it comes to actually promoting an event that people want to see, right? Which yeah. you, you got to like and you got to dislike. It depends on how how invested you are in the UFC being a sport. But uh, yeah. you know, I I'm, I'm eager to see how Connor makes adjustments in that in that next fight if it ends up happening. But uh, the line opened up for the fight yesterday. Did you see what the line was for the rematch for the trilogy fight? Oh, for the rematch, you know. Would you like What's to that? guess? Uh, okay. I'll, I don't, uh, I don't I think, know what it is right now, but I'll tell you what the opener was. So, so go ahead. Okay. I was going to say after obviously Poirier winning, you have to put Poirier minus – because I know the Connor talking, and I think it's early. He hasn't got to talk. Minus 200 Poirier. Minus 140 McGregor. Oh. Plus 120 I was, Poirier. I was, wow. Yeah. All right. So right. and and you know what I I know that when they open these lines it's not based on what they actually think is going to happen it's based on where they think they're going to generate the most money on both sides right they want to get two way yes. action so I yeah. think that a lot of people that see that are like whoa Poirier plus one twenty let's do it and then a lot of the McGregor people are like oh that was a fluke I bet McGregor well, minus one forty <laughs> hopefully people looked at your uh, your bet picks because you did pretty good this weekend yeah a little Barry Horrell with pat on the back action for me on my t s and edge picks because yeah. i will never I will never have that good of a week again folks so That's hopefully hopefully you capitalized on it yeah i I wish I did so let us know what you did because I think it's impressive yeah. what you called my mom said to me she goes why why don't you bet on the fights if if you if you're able to 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 put out these i go as soon as I bet on the fights they're gonna lose they're all lose. It's in my, it, it runs in my family. My grandfather yeah. used to. My grandfather always used to like. He would invest in a stock, and you you short sell that stock because it would always yeah. bomb. 
But uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I just I'll just give my recommendations. I like giving just recommendations. Yeah. But yeah, to run down the recommendations, I had four recommendations. My one loss was actually the uh, the lowest value uh, of the th- of the four, which was Dan Hooker minus one thirty. At that one lost. The other ones were Poirier plus two forty five, Marina Rodriguez plus two fifty, and Juliana Pena by submission plus four fifty. So Unreal. if you would have parlayed those three, probably would have been twenty five to one or something like that. That's it. You're retiring. That's it. Exactly. You put I'll go to Florida with my dad That's right it. now. Yeah, we'd be gone. We shut down the podcast, move <laughs> our houses, we're gone. No, I I won't retire from this job. I love this job. If you okay. if you if you, well, if, if TSN came to me and said we're going to give you twenty million dollars to retire from doing this job, right now, you know what do you want to do? I'm 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 staying with where I'm at. I love it. I love doing okay. this. Well, hopefully they offer me the job then, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll do the podcast from Florida. No, no, they're not offering you the job. They're offering else. me the money to walk away. Aaron, you're, you're okay. not allowed to cover MMA anymore. $20 million. I think okay. I'm, you can't put a price on my yeah. happiness. Yeah, that would be like, Joe, there's $20 million. Don't you kickboxing. Yeah. Never anymore. enter a gym yeah, again. Keep your money. Keep, yeah. your, keep your money. Keep your money. I'm with you. Is there, is there any price? I don't, is there actually, any... I don't know. Actually, I don't know. They, never enter a gym again. I'm never never enter a gym. You're never allowed to enter yeah, a gym again. For twenty million, yeah, I'm good with it. And you're not allowed to build a gym. You're not allowed to work out. You have to be. You have to. You have to sit at home all day, oh. and you're allowed to. Uh, you can do what you want with the money, whatever. You can buy cars. You can do. You know, you can buy a nice place. But you're not allowed to yeah. do any work, any physical, like any arduous physical activity. Uh, you can, like go for a long a walk one. or something. But twenty million—that just sounds too much to give up on. I don't know. Twenty million. If you said a million or two million, like okay. But twenty million, I think I'm. <laughs> I'm sitting on a couch. What would and you do with nothing. it? What would you do with it? What would you do with the twenty? I don't know. Whatever I want, that's what I do. I can go anywhere. I can take jets anywhere I want. At that point, I could. With twenty million, could, yeah, that that money would run out pretty quickly if you're if you're doing private charters. <laughs> well, what's a private charter cost? What do you think a private? I don't know, charter like forty thousand dollars probably. Yeah, once a year, a couple once times a year. A year yeah, once a year, a nice you can, charter, you can swing it. A couple times, I'll pick you up, go to Vegas, watch some fights, come back home. Why not? All right, cool. All well, right. if you're if you're, if I'm getting a piece of the action, then sure, yeah, take the there money. You go. <laughs> take the All money right, and run. But, <laughs> that's funny but yeah no i don't know that's a, that's a lot of money but uh yeah i'm taking the money sorry guys well i love kickboxing you could have made it if you would have if you would have just money. bet a million dollars on my picks this past weekend and parlayed the three that's to it. one there you yeah. go 20 million i mean i could help out a lot of people with uh 20 million dollars well, that's so a good way of looking I'll at take it actually if, if, if you're if you're yeah. able to use that money to help other people out then yeah yeah maybe i'll walk okay. away maybe my i'll put the happiness of others before mine all right, there we are. Nice hypothetical twenty million dollars. Now it's gone. Now I know there's some people. Honestly, it's it's so crazy to see like some of these big lottery winners at this time. I mean, I think one lady won sixty yeah, million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like at, at a time like this to win sixty million dollars, I was like, wow. I, I I honestly, I just hope I'm like, I hope she's someone who really needed it. You know, did I hope someone. Do you hear where she got the numbers someone, from? Uh, from her dead husband's dreams, or I think or her, her husband was alive. Dream? Yeah, her husband had well, a dream, and she kept dream, and she but... kept buying the number. Like, you know, it was a dream from like years ago, and every week she would buy those numbers. Buy those numbers. Wow. I know. Well, it's I hope incredible. she needed it. I hope it meant a lot to her. I hope she does good things with like sixty million dollars, and it's Canadian, so it's tax free. Yeah, <laughs> tax free. So she made sixty million dollars. So. Um, if she wants to throw over a little bit here, I'll help her out, and maybe she's got kids to bring to Bazooka Kickboxing, and uh, we'll train. <laughs> Private lessons, no problem. There anytime, you go. anytime. Just call. There you go. All right. Yeah. So, uh, what else? What else do we got on that card? Uh, I well, mean, the Chandler fight, right? The Chandler fight, yeah, impressive very impressive, right? very impressive. Uh, you know, I, I was saying to you last week that uh, if he can come in and beat Dan Hooker, I'll be very impressed because he's 35 right. years old. I don't think he's faced the best competition in the world over the last four years, save for his loss to Patricio Pitbull. And to come in and beat a top five, a legit top five guy in Dan Hooker, that's not too shabby. Yeah, I mean, the way he did it, the power, um, talking about X and O's on this fight, I mean, that footwork Chandler has is incredible. Um, being a shorter fighter, fighting these tall guys, he uses something called shifting. And the way he got this knockout was called the, the Dempsey roll. He was able to kind of hit with his hand, shift his feet, hit again with the other hand to close the distance. And um, in a lot of his big knockouts, it's always that footwork. So very intelligent on the feet in the ring. But I was just more impressed with how professional he was all fight week, the way he presented himself in the press conferences to post fight. He's just, uh, you can tell he's someone that knows how to be in this big, important role. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed speaking with him. I had never interviewed him before. And, uh, 
just a really, really warm and um, charismatic guy. Like, just a guy that's really charming. I think he could be a politician if he wanted to one day. Because oh, he's, big time. Because he's just, you know, when, when he talks, you listen. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was nice chatting with him. And uh, also... Uh, nice to see him get a win in the UFC. I think that uh, it opens up a lot of possibilities, as we discussed earlier. But I think Gaethje versus Chandler is the fight to make. That's just yeah. you can headline any card with that fight. Uh, I, I'm watching that fight regardless of where and when it's on. It could mm-hmm. be on at two in the morning, whatever, four in the morning. There. I'm there. Yeah, I'm watching that fight. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's. Uh, I think there's some fun ones, uh, definitely for Chandler if he stays in there. But uh, he used that line, you know, he's not here for a long time, but he's here for a fun time. So if you can kind of get in, give him some good fights, let him kind of uh, build his name. I mean, I think each fight for him should be really important, knowing that he's at that age and um, give him some big super fights and see if he can what he can do. I don't think there should be fights uh, that should be like, oh, just give him this fight. No, nope, he has to take all the big boys. Yeah, I think him versus Gaethje in like a title eliminator would be that's the fight to make. Yeah. I, I just love, yeah. as soon as they signed Chandler, my mind was like, you need to book him against Gagey. Like, I just yeah. don't know how it happens or when it's going to happen. It's just got to happen. Yeah, I mean, those guys just lay it out there. I mean, the power, too. You gotta, I, They're just built for knockouts, both of those guys. So, yeah, sign me up. But it's also, when you look at the wrestling deficit that Gagey gave up against, uh, against Khabib, I think that's going to stick in a lot of people's minds. Like, I think that Chandler, if he utilizes a wrestling-based game plan on Gagey, you know, he can have a lot of success. Yeah. What did you take on uh, if you had to stylistically match up Khabib and Chandler? Does, does he have a pretty good chance? No. Or we just don't no, know. No. We just don't no, know. He doesn't. Zero. No. The wrestling won't do it. No. Not a better chance than any of these other guys. Well, maybe. I mean, if you were to say who has stylistically the best chance of beating Khabib, I would say Charles Oliveira number one, and then number two would be uh, would be our our guy Michael Chandler. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I hear my dog barking, I mean, barking up a storm upstairs. So I'm uh, wondering what's going on. But uh, yeah, so that's why big, that's why I got dis- distracted. You have a security guard. Yeah, exactly. There you go. She's she's going at it right now. I can hear all 55 pounds of uh, uh of annoying of annoying barking. I think it's still important. They'll scare someone coming in. Doesn't matter how big they are. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's she's big enough to uh, to to uh, pose a threat. She's also really shaggy, so she looks like she weighs more than 55 pounds. All right, there you go. Yeah, there you go. So don't but, mess yeah. around, Joe. Don't come by. Don't no, come by. We don't got a come dog. by your house unexpected. Yeah. No, I won't come unexpected. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, sorry. But yeah, it looks like Habib's not coming back. I mean, it, it didn't seem like he was all that likely to come back to begin with. And now with Connor losing in that way, you know, what he said to Dana White was basically, you know, Dana, be honest with yourself. I'm just way better than these guys. Like, there's nothing more for yeah. me to achieve. And he's right. We don't need a. Yeah. We don't need him to be 30 and 0. People, nobody's going to be like, I can't believe he retired at 29 and 0. He could have been 30 and 0. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah, I think he kind of maybe wrote off. Like, I mean, if he wanted that something big, that fun, that excitement, if no one in that lightweight's doing it, like, I would have thought maybe like the George St. Pierre would have sparked it, right? Yeah, but what does it do for him? I mean, everybody would expect him to be George St. Pierre. I, that's why I think yeah. Oliveira might be the one guy that can do it because if Oliveira just starts subbing everybody off of his back or like beating everybody easily, which he might be able to do, then maybe Khabib says, "Well, people people think this guy would sub me off of, off of his back. Let's let's see, let's see what happens." Yeah, and I think it's just honestly Dana White forcing all of this. I think mm-hmm. that big announcement from Khabib was a waste of everyone's time and excitement for no reason. Basically, the big announcement meaning. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, most likely, Khabib's not coming back. If if something excites him, but nothing's exciting him. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but let's be honest. The fight that Dana White wanted to make was Conor versus Khabib, too. Yeah. They were on that looking forward to a fight thing. And, exactly. uh, and they're sitting at the table, and he goes, hey, this fight with Poirier is like the second biggest pay-per-view we've ever done. Imagine how big a rematch with Conor would be. Yeah. But yeah. Conor didn't do his part. He lost. <laughs> right? So, like, yeah. We, yeah. you know, I don't, think, I don't think that people are, are wondering what would happen in that rematch anymore. But what about, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing something like uh, a Kamaru Usman. I mean, you don't think Khabib has the strength to, friends, to do some work and welterweight? But they're I friends. Mean, like, why, yeah. I don't, what's the point? What, like, what does he gain from that? Becoming a two-division uh, champion? Oh, Legendary he's undefeated. status, the best of the best. I mean, you, you've spent so much time, um, you know, maybe just finish it off with that big noise of being the, the champ champ like that. 
But I mean, yeah. I'm just, hey, I want to see it. I, I like the, the fact that he's so strong in wrestling and I want to see what strikers can do. So I just want to see him fight like Dana. But hey, let him run off. Let him do his thing. He did it. Leave on top. Stop forcing the guy too. So I'm good with it too. Yeah. And with Jones, um, like Jones is trying to become a two-division champion because he wants to be known as the greatest of all time. He says, seems like there's some sort of question marks regarding whether or not he can be the best of all time, at least in his mind. But if he loses once at heavyweight, like what does that do to his reputation, right? Like people have to remember that when these people try to take these risks to become the best ever, there's still, it's a high risk. Like if Khabib comes back against anybody, it's a risk. Personally, I yeah. think if Cormier, after he beat Stipe the first time, if he would have retired, people would be looking at him as a top three or four guy of all time in the sport. But he came yeah. back, he lost to Stipe, and then he lost again. And now people don't talk much about him. They don't talk much about Daniel Cormier being a top five all-time guy, top ten all-time guy. Because these fans are fickle. People, they look at your resume and they, they judge it based on that. They're not looking at your talent level. They're not saying this guy's the most talented guy of all time. They're saying this guy's resume stands out above other people's. And if Cormier yeah. would have retired as a two-division champion, at the lightweight, light heavyweight champion and heavyweight champion at the same time, Boy, the narrative would be different. Yeah, I mean, it made more sense for DC to kind of exit out a little bit earlier because he's in his forties. You know what? I think the the thing is, Khabib's young to us, right? And Khabib's mm-hmm. Khabib still young. in a in, in a prime, so it's kind of it's kind of hard. I mean, who knows? Maybe he does need. Maybe it's a year or two years off. He's still in two years. Is still going to be in a physical shape and prime to be able to still be the best in the world. So mm-hmm. maybe he just needs some time away from cutting weight and fights and. Wants to do his thing, and that's yeah. okay. And too. he's becoming a coach GSP now. Basically, he's taking over for his dad. 18. He's te- coaching all these guys yeah. that his dad coached, and he's kind of stepped yeah. out of the role of fighter, and now he's ta- now it's his team. And he was there he with Umar. An organization, right? Didn't he buy a fight organization? Yeah, he bought well? a, he bought his own fight promotion. So he's going to be able to develop his own talent. He's basically going to become like one of the the biggest. He's going to be one of the biggest names in combat sports when all said and done. Just in terms of what his contributions yeah. to this sport are going to be. Yeah, and especially you got to think with. Abu Dhabi being a big player in the, the UFC now, and him owning a promotion out there is just going to have the UFC always taking guys. The UFC is going to, you know, kind of use his promotion to build and get some guys over. So I think he's in a, a beautiful position to kind of, like you said, take over the, the MMA world. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm uh, interested to see where he goes from here, but I don't think it's going to be to the UFC. I don't think he's going to be back in the octagon. So, uh, yeah. One thing that uh, I think surprised a lot of people was Marina Rodriguez and her knockout over Amanda Hebas. Uh, like I mentioned, it was one of my picks was, was Rodriguez, so it doesn't surprise me all that much. But I, I did believe that the one element of Hebas' game that we didn't see was her striking. We just did not see how she would do against a, a high-level striker, and that's what Rodriguez is. So uh, she got knocked out second round. Uh, the odds on Rodriguez by uh, knockout was plus 1450. So if you if you took that, good on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hibas, I felt like had the she had the the promotional machine behind her. I feel like they really wanted to make her this next uh, uh, big star in the women's division. But Rodriguez is phenomenal. I loved her style, her frame, her shape, her long striking, her elbows were were, were phenomenal. I think she's going to be tough. Uh, I don't know how good her grappling is, but from a striking standpoint, she's one of the the. One of the most technical strikers I've seen in a woman. You got to think how how clean she looked. Mm-hmm. And well, her striking looked good enough to, or her grappling rather looked good enough to fend off attacks from Hebas. I mean, she she was held down, but she was also mm-hmm. trying to get into rubber guard. She was trying to throw up uh, a triangle towards the end of the round. So it's not like she was a fish out of water on the ground. I, I think she still has jujitsu credentials. She's from Brazil. That doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you have jujitsu credentials, but it, mm-hmm. I believe that she does. So. You know, I, st- I still think that we can see a lot from her. She's still kind of, she's a little bit on the older side, though. I think she's 33 now, so whether or not she can become a contender in that division, we'll see. But certainly a good a good start if she's trying to get yeah. some momentum back. Yeah, definitely a good win. So, I mean, when you beat one of the uh, promotional upcomers like that, hopefully help you get some steam and get some big fights because I think she'll just be exciting for everyone. In the women's division, if you can knock someone out, I mean, it would be curious to see how many of all the women's fights go to to knockout because most of the time they're decision-style fights. But when you get a a knockout-style fighter in the women's division, I think it just makes the the fights that much more exciting because – when you watch someone like the Angela Hills, the you know Yen checks, those yeah, girls strap, and if yeah. they can knock, if they can knock you out, that's what's going to really get these uh, women's division and everyone really excited. So, um, Rodriguez looked great. 
all I can say. Well, some big fight announcements over the weekend. Uh, two officially announced uh, fights for UFC 260, which will take place March 27th. You've got the rematch between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. And you've got Alexander Volkanovsky defending his title against Brian Ortega. And another fight announced yesterday. I don't know if you heard this one. Tyron Woodley coming back for another one in the UFC against Vicente Luque. Did you hear about that one? Oh, no, I have not. Yeah, Woodley versus Luque. So, interesting one because Luque is basically basically the main training partner for Gilbert Burns, who just beat uh, Woodley last year, right? So, you know, interestingly enough, uh, I think think Luque should be the favorite in that fight. Yeah, Luque's just a, a savage. He doesn't care who he fights. He's going to go forward. Because usually when someone fights like a, a Woodley, they, it's like a, a waiting, patient game. They're worried about his explosiveness, his speed. But I don't think Vicente cares. I think Luque, <laughs> he, I think he's literally just going to keep walking forward and just try to pressure. He'll eat a shot to give a shot. So um, I think he's going to bring the scrap and fight to Woodley. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a very fun fight. Now, pressure has seemingly been one of the kryptonites of, of Woodley in his last three fights. So yeah. we'll see how that that turns out. But uh, Volkanovski Ortega, it's hard to get a beat on this one because we just haven't seen that much from Ortega aside from that incredible win he had over the Korean Zombie, where it looks like his striking is really elevated. And of course, we know how good his jujitsu is, but. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm eager to see how that goes because that's one where I have a lot of trouble pegging a winner there. I I don't know who, you know, I just don't know who Ortega is right now. I think that he's seemingly as much improved from the guy that we saw fight Max Holloway a couple years back. Yeah, his is striking improved. I mean, I just think it sometimes it takes a long time to be that good in the striking uh, department. So I I still would have to think his advantage in that fight is the jujitsu aspect. Um, but Volkanovski, I think his feet, his footwork kind of reminds me of a Michael Chandler style. So, yeah, I think uh, slight, slight favor going to me have to go to Volkanovski. But uh, if if Ortega can fight as well as he does training with my boy Jason Park as well, that's who uh, one of the people responsible for his striking improvements. Um, I think he can do great stuff, but I just think Volkanovski is so good that closing distance and landing his big strikes, taking that calf. Um, I think it's going to be a tough fight. And I think Ortega, if he gets it done, it'll be more uh, on, on the ground at some point. Do you want to guess the odds for the, for these two fights, for Ngannou versus Stipe and uh, Volkanovski-Ortega? Who, who, who you, what do you think yeah, are the odds right. in, the, for, in the main event? Let's go, let's go Stipe versus Francis first. Okay, Stipe versus Francis. I'm going to put Francis minus 150. You're almost bang Francis on. As a almost bang on. Francis is minus one fifty-five. Okay. There All you right. go. See, you're you're seeing the odds clearly, Joe. And now let's let's That's hear Volkanovski Ortega. What you got? Okay, I'm gonna go Volkanovski minus. I'm gonna say almost the same thing. Minus one sixty-five. Minus two ten. So you're off on that one. Minus two ten. Off on that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. I gave Ortega a little bit too much credit, then, but. And we also have some opening odds for some uh, for some fights. We have uh, the opening odds for Poirier Oliveira. We have the opening odds for uh, Poirier Chandler. And I have already told you the opening odds for McGregor Poirier three. Mm-hmm. So Poirier Oliveira odds. Poirier Oliveira. Let's do Poirier minus one thirty. Uh, you're uh, you're close. It's minus one sixty five Poirier. Okay. And Poirier Chandler. Uh, Poirier Chandler. Poirier. Minus 170, then. Yeah, close on that one, too. Minus 200 for Poirier. So Minus 200. You're in, okay. you're in the area code. You're in the not area bad, code. not bad. The the bazooka betting site's not quite up yet, so <laughs> I have some time to practice. All right, well, let's do it. So this this weekend, Glory, on Saturday. What time does it start yeah. so I can watch it? It's four, I think it's 4 uh, Eastern? earlier. Or 2 so Eastern, 2 Eastern. You, uh, no, this weekend. Yeah, no, I think, it's two, I think it's 2 Eastern on Saturday, right? Oh, yes, yes. It'll be uh, the, the pay-per-view starts at 2 Eastern time. Uh, we have one prelim fight that builds up our pay-per-view. That'll be at 1 o'clock, which is on YouTube and I believe Facebook Watch. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, YouTube, Facebook Watch. Listen to uh, the prelim fight. we got a heavyweight belt to, to warm us up. And is, it, then, is it a tournament uh, fight? Right into it. Uh, no, it's just okay. uh, it's just a fight. Uh, one of the heavyweights, some new guys coming in. But then uh, – 
the pay-per-view hits, it's just off to like some of the best fights that you can ever ask for in kickboxing. Yeah, so we I'm got excited. world title fights, heavyweight fights. Champion Rico versus Bear champion. Ruben, <laughs> Alex Pereira, Artem Vahitov, Tiffany Van Sue, Cedric Dumbe, Myrtle Grunhardt. I mean, you got to be a big kickboxing fan because when you know these names, like you just know how big it is. Uh, so yeah, fight TV and glory.com for the pay-per-view. Yeah, I've got it all That's written good. down already. I've got it on my calendar. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this one, this one here, I highly recommend. If you want to give kickboxing a chance, this is the one you really want to watch for, um, especially for that Alex Pereira that's uh, been making a big noise. And since this is an MMA show, I mean, we see. I think Alex Pereira um, thinks he can be the guy to beat Izzy eventually. So he made his LFA debut with a, a knockout of the year for them. Yeah, now he's not, back not bad. Now he's back in kickboxing. Felt bad for the guy. You know? So very bad he was out for at least five minutes i mean uh just one of the scariest men on on the planet right now so just excited i love calling fights i just to be uh won't be ringside again i'll be calling it from new jersey but just still being part of the action and yelling and screaming while people hit each other gets me excited yeah the kickboxing capital of uh, of north america new jersey from what i understand that's it new jersey <laughs> from the industrial units so <laughs> who knows where which but, city uh, is it secaucus I couldn't even tell you. I don't even know. It's like, literally, I look outside of my... It's 15 minutes from the hotel. There's no restaurants around. I have to Uber to anything to eat. Um, it's dead town. How far so is it from the airport? The, uh, 10, 15 minutes. From Newark? From Newark, yeah. Okay, so it's probably so, like, just like, yeah. I've, I've stayed at a hotel near the Newark airport, so it's, I, I know the area. I've been so there. You know, I've stayed at the Holiday Inn Newark. There. Okay. Yeah, I never. I don't know where we're staying this time, but uh, hopefully we usually stay in nice places. But there's nothing around. I covered the I'd UFC. Rather, I'd much rather be in Holland. That's for sure. <laughs> I covered the UFC's event in Newark. One day, uh, same day mission. Flew in the more in the morning. Watched the event. It was an afternoon event. Flew home at night. Those are the best ones. In and out mission. You loved it. That's, yeah, those are the best ones. I got sometimes. to see a Starbucks at uh, Newark before I went to the show. I sat at a Starbucks, had a coffee. That was my experience yeah. in Newark. You didn't even get to go to the hotel. You just went straight. I to didn't the book a hotel. I, I, I didn't book a hotel. <laughs> yeah, it was one, yeah, in and out mission. Like I said, I liked, I loved it. It was fun. But uh, yeah, you know, I'd love to. I'd love to cover any event right now. That'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I I just miss being live. I need to be live. I mean, I got to go corner Malcolm's fight, so that gave me a little bit of a live action. But uh, just calling fights and just being there in my element, in-ring interviews. I just miss that that whole feeling. The, I miss seeing fans. I miss taking pictures. I just I miss that whole whole atmosphere of fight week. Well, what's the holdup for you to go to and from the Netherlands right now? I mean, you need to quarantine either way when you come back, 120 days, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's my uh, broadcast partner, Todd Grisham, and my boss, and the other producer and directors. They're all American. And they're not allowed to go over yet. So um, it makes sense that Todd and I call fights together with our producer. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have one of our other Dutch commentators and announcers. He'll do like the behind the scenes stuff for us. Mark Schaff. It's like a Dutch name. Mark Schaff. Um, so he'll do the stuff there. And Todd and I just call the fights from Jersey. So right. I kind of was excited for me to go maybe, but it would be too difficult for Todd and I to connect and stay on the same yeah. page. So when you guys are calling it, are you guys sitting together at a desk? Or are you guys in separate rooms? What's, what's the layout? I want to I hear yeah. what yeah. it's like. It's almost like um, this one here. It'll be a little bigger, but it's a, a built stage set. So we kind of built the desk almost like you guys would have at TSN, but just not as many LED lights behind us. So basically us sitting on our desks with our headsets, calling the fights, watching a uh, a big monitor uh, this time we're going to kind of fix things up a little bit and kind of do it how the NFL does it where uh, there'll be a huge LED behind us and we'll be able to stand up at least and to be able to talk uh, more like the NFL style so we're constantly getting better with these pay-per-views this is still new to us this is a whole new model and whole new style of, of calling fights um, it's just weird to call Bader Hari fights and Rico fights <laughs> with no one into the crowd but it's it's still something I'm just happy I'm still able to do it Speaking exactly of the crowd, two thousand people in attendance for these UFC events sounded loud. It sounded good. I like. Yeah, I, I liked it, it. I think that if if you if you can do these events, even if they sell some tickets at the Apex, I don't know. Like if you can get people cleared from a health standpoint to watch from the Apex, I just I don't know what the, the legalities of that are right now. But uh, even just a little bit of, of crowd cheering can go a long way. Yeah, I think I, I heard somewhere where. 
Um, is it the Super Bowl that's giving so many tickets out to people who are vaccinated? They're giving it to frontline people as like a thank you, but it's 22,000 people in like a 60,000 or 75,000 person stadium. So I think it's like a 25% okay. full. Okay, that's still kind of nice that they're doing that for the healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. That was nice. For sure. Yeah, that's that's very nice of them. Although they have to go to Tampa, unfortunately. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just joking. If anybody from Tampa is listening, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. The Wild West over there. I've been to Tampa before, actually. They have a, they've got a great arena there, the Amelie Arena. It's, I think that's what it's still called, but uh, where the Lightning play and where the Raptors are actually playing this year. is a very nice arena. Well, okay. It sounds like I can go check him out, so. I wish I could. There's no traveling for us. The, the, the annoying part now is I did my COVID test today, and now I have to do a COVID test in New Jersey. So uh, traveling protocol has changed quite a bit. So um, that's why my trip to Jersey is a little longer this time. Mm-hmm. I have to get a test while I'm there, which, again, they're doing all the safety measures to make sure, you know, we're not bringing all these uh, viruses back home with us. So if it just makes me feel better to know that I'm keeping my family and those around me safe. So I'm getting double tested. Well, one thing Dana White talked about was the, uh, the Biden administration uh, coming in last week uh, and that the travel restrictions might change that might actually impact the UFC's business. Like we don't know if, if for fighters coming from outside of the U S might need to quarantine for two weeks now before they can, uh, yeah. before they're, they're cleared. Right. It's been pretty like pretty free passage through the U S uh, you know, during the Trump administration. So now with Biden there, they don't really know how it's going to potentially affect their business in 2021. Yeah, I mean, some of my friends who live in California, even within interstate travel, they still have to quarantine for 10 days now. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So maybe, you know, Abu Dhabi is the place to go, but still getting the fighters to Abu Dhabi, bringing them back, having a quarantine. We're probably going to see more of those types of situations that uh, we talked about with Dan Hooker having to, you know, quarantine in all these hotels and all of these hoops to go around. But it's good for these guys who are making good money. But you got to think some of these people who are making, you know, small incomes from these trips, having a quarantine and, you know, spending months away from home, not being able to work. So I think that's where it really affects uh, those types of guys and uh, people and a part of the company. All right, Joe. Well, we'll be back next week to uh, recap. Or sorry, to preview. No recap. No no event this week. Is no I from glory. We can recap some glory. We can recap some glory yeah, kickboxing. But uh, sure to preview, uh, Alexander Volkov taking on Alistair Overing. That's the next UFC fight night. It is February the 7th, I believe. Uh, also on that card, Sandhagen versus Edgar. Excited for that one. So that should be a lot of fun. But uh, until then, enjoy your trip to New Jersey. And uh, we'll we'll talk next week and uh, and, we'll uh, talk and soon. yeah and preview some uh, some UFC fight night Volkov versus Overeem uh, and as I mentioned before the show we now have an interview to get to it's an interview with the uh, potentially the the next welterweight champion of the world he's taking on Kamaru Usman February the thirteenth it's Gilbert Burns and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show he is the next challenger for the men's welterweight championship of the world. So, Kamaru Usman, this is a fight you've been waiting for for some time, obviously. Uh, when, you, when you look at Usman and you look at the different matchups for him in the division, I personally believe you're the worst matchup for him in the division. Would you, I'm, I'm guessing you agree with that, but where do you think he is better than you? If you were to give him some credit and say, Usman is better than me at this part of MMA, what would it be? Uh... I think he controls the distance better. You know, he he keeps out of uh, the danger better than me. I put myself more in danger because I believe in my power and, and on my my speed. So sometimes I put myself in these positions. He does better controlling the cage, putting his own pace. He wrestles very good offensively. He's wrestling offensive is very good. Cage control is good. Uh, a lot of things he does very good. You know, and then. Even though people think he don't strike that good, I think he strikes very good. He, he when he put his pace, he's able to strike. He can kick. He do a couple good body shots. He can do he can do a lot of things very good. I think. Would it be a mistake for him to take you down? Maybe, maybe I think. Like you said, uh, you watched a couple guys and you think I'm I'm the worst matchup for him. And I think I'm the worst matchup for almost everybody in that division, you know, especially all in the top 15. I think if they do take me down, what are they going to do? Take me down. I'm, I'm waiting for I want that. I want to grapple you guys. I want to see if you guys are ready for my scrambles, for my offensive, with my back on the floor. 
And if I do get a sweep, what are you gonna do? You gotta run up all the way up, and I'm I'm speed. I have speed on my hands. I hit hard, so I'm I'm ready, you know. And then I think I'm a worse matchup for a lot of guys. And uh, if they want to take me down, try. It's not gonna be easy. If they do take me down, let's see. Let I just hope they 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 try take me down, you know. That's why this is such a better fit for you as a division. I mean, obviously the weight cut was tough for you at lightweight, but welterweight historically has always been such a grappling heavy division. And a lot of these top guys, you look at the Colby Covingtons, of course, Usman, these guys are, are wrestling focused fighters. Like to me, I, I believe that those guys are better matchups for you than even say a Leon Edwards or maybe a Jorge Masvidal because those guys are so focused on their grappling that if they try to take you down, we know your credentials in jujitsu, it, it can be a very long night for them or a very short night for them. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I ju I even think who you said not Masvidal and who was the other one. I think, I still believe for for Masvidal for Edwards. I still believe I'm very a, a, a bad matchup for these guys, you know. And then more for the grappler for sure because well, all they do is take people down. So take me down, especially in the beginning. If you leave me a little bit more relaxed, don't put pressure, then I'm coming. If you come, I'm coming too. If you do take me down, what are you going to do? I I want you to answer. I want these guys to answer this question. And, uh, I just believe I'm, I'm putting so much work on my striking, on my wrestling, and, and on my jiu-jitsu to be as dangerous as I can be. You know, like even with my back on the floor, I've been working so much on that, getting out of the wall for sure, a lot of fencing for a lot of different angles. A lot of different submissions, and uh, I believe I can't finish any one of these guys, and I'm a big threat for these guys. And um, we'll see February 13th. I'm very confident that I'll be very dangerous with delivery. You know, a lot of dangerous things in every single area, and people are going to be excited. Well, one of the big problems for these grapplers is, you know, when they're matched up with a striker, we saw what happened with Usman and Masvidal. He takes him down, neutralizes him, no problem. Your striking has elevated to such a level where I think you're a lot better on the feet than a lot of these other guys that, that are more grappling-focused fighters. Uh, you've shown how good your striking has gotten. Uh, you see a guy like Demian Maia and how, how that fight went because Demian Maia can't really try to grapple with you because of how good your grappling is. I don't think Demian Maia would have been able to submit you in all likelihood. But now you see these guys that are more grappling-heavy they have to worry about your grappling as well. Grappling for you, I'm sure, is like a second language at this point in time, and I'm sure that mo much of your training focus has been on striking for the last three, four years. Is, is that correct? Like, how much, how much more time are you putting into your striking than you are your grappling? To be honest, on the beginning, I was uh, very heavy on my on my strike. I want to get better on strike. I don't want to depend on my jiu-jitsu, and I. I got caught up with that a little bit until that fight. We we lead into that fight with Dan Hooker. I was in love with the striking, and I was doing a lot of extra boxing, extra kickboxing, drilling, and drilling, and drilling, and drilling, and sparring. And uh, at that fight, I got that little click. You know, people, people always going to be kind of respecting my hands a little bit, my speed. But the main thing is my jiu-jitsu, you know. And then after that fight, I just got back heavy to my jiu-jitsu and did a lot of tournaments and got back and join the guys that fight sports in Miami, Cyborg, Gabriel, Gal Wagner, Russia. He become a very close friend of mine. We're working together a lot. And uh, I, I, I felt that I was back on my roots, you know. And then as soon as I got back to jiu-jitsu, I think my MMA game was kind of right here, you know. As soon as I got back to the jiu-jitsu and I kept doing what I was doing in striking, I feel that that little thing happened. You know, it kind of everything was was connected, you know, and then put a lot of work on, on my wrestling that time, a lot of work on my jiu-jitsu, my striking. And I feel that, that I'm the dangerous guy in that division with my hands, with my kicks, with my knees, elbows, with my submissions. And I can submit you from everywhere. And then that's what I'm working on. And I think uh, it was a little time, was a little wasn't that easy to figure that out. But like I said, I fail a little bit because I put so much energy into my my striking. It paid off, but on the time, I had to come back to my roots and do a lot of more grappling, do a lot of more uh, even tournaments outside of the UFC to, to get that roots back. And I think it got that back. And when that was back inside of me, I became even more dangerous, you know? 
You were fighting at lightweight for a long time, and you were in the same gym as Kamaru. And I'm sure that the two of you could learn a lot from each other. You could learn a lot about wrestling from him. He could learn a lot about jiu-jitsu from you and a lot about striking. Both you guys can learn about striking and range from one another. How much time did you guys work together in the gym over the years when you were at lightweight and he was at welterweight? How familiar are you with him? A lot. A lot. We're working together a lot every single day. If, I don't know, over... 300 sessions over 200 sparring sessions a lot of grappling sessions and uh we work a lot for years seven eight years of working and uh every day we see each other twice a day and uh, he worked he was a hard worker me too so we, we were in the room all the time and then we're looking for the toughest guy and we find each other all the time and uh yeah we help a lot each other a lot especially we are both like the captains of the team because the the coach always traveling, cornering guys, and uh, uh, jujitsu coach was going, wrestling coach was going. He was leading the wrestling class. I was leading the jujitsu class. We were helping each other. Yeah, I know a lot about Kamari. He knows a lot about me. And then, but still, if the fight goes halfway, and I'm being honest right now, halfway of what we did on our sparring sessions. People are going to get so happy watching that fight because we we used to get after each other a lot, you know, and then making each other better. And then now we're here. The way I see, we for sure we have all the respect against each other, but I want to be the best. He's the best right now. I need to beat him. He's going to be a competition. We did it so many times for free. Now we're going to get paid for and uh, that's the way I see it. And the way I see it, he's no bad blood. He's only competition. I want to be the best. He's the best. We're fighting. And that's it's going to be one more day, you know. But it's, it must be hard for you because when you're sparring with somebody, the intent is not to hurt somebody or to keep going. If someone's hurt, you stop. You, you give each other notes. This is a different situation. You guys know each other so well. You guys were basically family for years in terms of training together and being, like you said, both captains of the team. Is it difficult for you to put that aside? For you to, to in the back of your head, say, this guy's a good guy, somebody who I really like, and I have to try to hurt him? Uh, wasn't the, in the beginning, was. Now that the the time kind of passed a little bit. He's not here every day. I don't see him for a while. It's uh, it's a bit different. But uh, we trained hard a couple of times like that. He never got hurt. I never got hurt. We tried to beat each other hard, especially at the Black Zillion's time. The the sparring was crazy. We were trying to take each other's head all the all, every single time that we sparred. And I didn't get hurt. He never got hurt. We just kept trying, you know, and then we train very hard. Right now, it's going to be different for sure. It's going to be small gloves. It's going to be inside the cage. But like I said, uh, it's my future, his future. He wants to keep the champion. I want to become a champion. And uh, that that's a competition. Even when I go inside of the cage, I, I come with strategy. I come with a, with a mission to finish the fight or dominate the fight. And uh, I don't see – I have no feelings. You know, I have no hate. Oh, I, I don't need to hate the guy. I don't need for sure. I have a lot of respect, but I got to put that aside. And I'm on a mission. You know, I want to win that fight and I want to give my best. And uh, he's on he's on the way right now. You know, he's he's the one that I'm going to face. It's no bad blood, but it's a competition. When the competition, we got to sometimes you got to face those guys, you know, and it's going to be one competition one night. May the best man win and I will keep respecting. Easier said than, than done. But I believe I will keep respecting Kamar for sure, maybe even more after the fight. Did it help you to fight Demian Maya? Because I'm sure Demian Maya is a guy that, A, you definitely didn't have any bad blood with. The guy's one of the nicest guys on the planet. And also just such a good, uh, you know, a legend of jiu-jitsu, which, which you hold in such high regard. Do you feel like that helps you fight Kamaru just from that standpoint, from a mental standpoint of getting in there with somebody who you respect a lot? Uh, not really, I think. When I'm fighting the guy, I'm trying to finish the guy. It doesn't matter who. You know, when I'm training you, when we're grappling, when I grapple with Vicente Luca, he's kind of like my brother. I try to finish him every single time. When we spar, uh, even though we're not going 100% small glove, we're going to big gloves. But I freaking try to knock him out. He tried to knock me out. But we're friends. We, we know we're making each other better. You know, after training, we talk, hey, your hands were down like that time. Don't do this, blah, blah, blah. We, we talk. But at that time, when we in, we in. You know, that's the sport is all about. It. And uh, 
I have no feelings, you know, when I fought Damian Meyer, uh, for sure I have a lot of respect to him before and after the fight. But on those 15 minutes, on those 25 minutes, it's business, you know, it's no feeling. I can fight anywhere in that that I, I like I said, I have no hate, I have no love. I just want to beat the guy that is in front of me and I'm hungry for that and that's what I do, you know, and I have no feelings. Can be Kamaru, can be Kobe, can be Majidal. I'll fight the same way. I'll try to knock you out, and I'm going to try to submit you. Still respect you, but I have no hate. I, I don't see the face. I, I'm not going to see Kamara's face training me, be, uh, be my buddy after practice. No, he, he, I don't see his face. I see a guy that's trying to beat me, and I'm trying to beat him. That's it. That's the competition that goes on my mind. Now, I heard this narrative, and I, I don't buy into it at all, believe me, when I say this to you. And I'm saying this to you not just because we're talking, yeah. but I'm being honest, that maybe Leon Edwards should have gotten a shot ahead of you because of what happened uh, last time. Obviously, yeah. you were unable to, to compete in the last uh, welterweight title fight uh, because of COVID-19. Uh, when you hear that, how angry does it make you, given how hard it was for you to earn this spot? It doesn't make me no angry because I worked hard from that, and I earned it. Nothing or nothing, anything on my life was ever given to me, nothing. I became a world champion on a tough year. I became a no-gi world champion a tough year. And uh, everything was, it was too hard work, you know. Nothing was easy, nothing. Anything in my life was easy. I remember on the jiu-jitsu, I get, I get scholarship because I didn't have money to pay. That's how I started training jiu-jitsu. And it, if I wasn't there early before the class helping clean up the gym, I couldn't train. You know, and then nothing was given to me, especially those opportunities. I earned that. I beat, I knocked Damian Maya out. I I dominate Tyron Woodley. I asked for the shot they gave to me, but it wasn't given because I'm a nice guy. It was because of my performance. And uh, it doesn't it doesn't make me sad that people people have different opinions. But the way I see your opinion doesn't matter. Does not gonna change my reality. You know, especially couple other reporters that they took a lot of things uh, personal that sometimes they don't I don't know if they like me or not that they, they like more the owners or not it doesn't matter but the facts are real I'm being active I've been asking for a fight I'm right here and they give me the title shot I believe I earned it and uh, and that's it you know like a lot of guys have different opinions but he, the opinions that matter to me is my wife my coach my mentors person that that are around me my manager you know those those uh all those criticism all that things for from these guys it it matters for me but re, those all the reporters that those guys the internet the haters that the that opinion doesn't make no change for me well let's stick with edwards he's facing Hamza shimaev do you believe that a the winner of this fight is going to be next in line for the title after your fight and b who do you think wins that Let's start with the B. I think Lear, uh, I think Kamzachi might have wins that fight. And uh, coming back to A, I don't know if that fight's going to happen. A lot of things are going crazy right now. People pulled out. A lot of people jump on the opportunity. Uh, I don't know if they will be the next. And I think they should. But then we get Kobe Covington right there. We got Mazidal right there. We got Wonder Boy, Michael Chiesa, uh, a lot of guys right there, you know, and a lot of things can change on those days. One guy that's positive, other guys ready. He asks for, he gets the opportunity. I think anyone on top 10 can get this, this next shot, you know. I think they just got to be ready, waiting for the opportunity. Those times are crazy. Anything can happen. Uh, if that fight goes through, the winner should get the next title shot, in my opinion. But if that fight goes through, a lot of things can happen. Joffe New can jump in there. Wonder Boy can jump in there. Michael Kies, I think if I was one of these guys, I would just be ready, hoping to get the opportunity. And I would, if I was Leon Weathers and Kanzachi Maeva, I would be out of trouble. I would, you know, kind of quarantine myself with my training camp, make sure nothing happened and, and come to that fight. But times are crazy right now. It, it's hard to say who it's going to be next, you know. And finally, we talked about matchups and who the hardest matchup is. Take these guys and tell me who you think is the hardest. Rank them from the hardest to the easiest. You've got Usman, Covington, Masvidal, Shemaev, Edwards, Wonderboy, and Kiesa. Who's the, the hardest matchup all the way down to the easiest, in your opinion, just in terms of strictly from match, a matchup standpoint? 
No, I, I believe the opposite. I believe I'm I am the hardest matchup for any single one of these guys. I think Kobe, what he's gonna do, he's gonna take me down. So try it. Kamaru, try it. Uh who's the next one? Masvidal. Leo Edwards, yeah, I think I match up very yeah, Masvidal. Uh, I think I, I match up very good with these guys. I'm way quicker, I'm explosive. I got the, the striking, I got the takedowns, I got the wrestling. I think I match up very good against this guy. Comes out, I think I match up very good. I cannot wait to fight Shimaev. He's one of the guys that I really want to fight. I want to change grappling. I want to scramble with him. I want to see his wrestling, how high level he is. I want to grapple with him. I want to scramble. I want to strike with him. Wonder Boy, I know I saw Wonder Boy fight very closely when he fought Vicente Luca. I was on his corner. I saw him fighting against Adam Woolley. I think he's very good. But when people fight on his own game, he's very good. But I want to see when people wrestle him. When people do his game, it doesn't go forward with the hands up like like Joff New did, just kind of following him. When people fight a little bit like a uh, like a, a Tyron Woodley did and mix a little bit with the wrestling, with the grappling, then I want to see what Wonder Boy can do. So answering your question, I think I am the worst matchup for every single one of these guys. And... Coming February 13, I believe he'll become a champion. Not passing ever to Kamara. He's he's the he's a big one in front of me. I'm looking forward, never looking past to him. But I believe I will I'll make it happen. And these guys will see. I'm I'll see. Let's see who wants the title shot next because uh, I'm I'm about to show a dangerous Gilbert Burns February 13. These guys you will see how dangerous I am, and I think they're gonna be a little intimidated to call for asking for a title shot well it's ufc 258 it's february the 13th yourself against kamaru uzman a great fight and uh like you said nothing's been handed to you you've earned this opportunity and i think you're going to seize the day uh best of luck to you and i look forward to watching that one and uh, hopefully i get to speak to you again before that fight uh during fight week me too aaron have a good one i hope i hope we're gonna talk we talk again on fight week but have a good one